0: Welcome, everyone. Many thanks for, for taking the time to join us for this podcast, focusing on business action to tackle child labour. My name is James Gom. I'm Director of Equity Action at the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, or WBCSD for short. And I will be your, your host for today, and I'm, I'm delighted to be joined by some fantastic guests for today's discussion. So with me, I have uh, Alindi Malin who is a global human rights and children's rights leader at the Inter-IKEA Group. We also have Chris Kipp, who oversees child rights and business at UNICEF. And we have Fanny Fremont, uh, Executive Director at the Responsible MICA Initiative. So welcome, everybody, and thank you so much for for joining us today with the the fifth global conference on the elimination of child labour currently taking place in, in Durban. This is a great opportunity for us to, to focus in on the role that businesses globally have to play in creating a world without child labour. So without further ado, let's let's jump in. Chris, perhaps we could kick off with, with you. And WBCSD was delighted to work with UNICEF around the publication of a guide for business leaders on the role of business in tackling child labour, which we released uh, in December last year during the International Year for the Elimination of, of Child Labour. Why, Chris, is it? critical for for UNICEF to engage with business as part of its efforts to to tackle child labor.
1: Thanks so much, James. Uh, It's really great to be here with you today with Alinda and Fanny to discuss this really very important topic. There, There are, of course, a whole range of root causes of child labor from poverty, exclusion from education, harmful social and gender norms, weak or absent child protection systems. And because of the often complex multitude of drivers of child labor, UNICEF's programmatic response to child labor promotes a multi-sectoral approach. So one that addresses these root causes with a focus on prevention. So for example, this can include strengthening access to quality education, uh, strengthening social protection, child protection systems, improving data and visibility of child labor, just to name a few, And it's clear that throughout these areas, businesses really have a critical role to play. First of all, because they can causally contribute to these root causes of child labor. For example, a lack of decent work for parents and caregivers in business operation and supply chains, and in particular, lack of living wages for adults, can really drive child labor by contributing to poverty and exploitative forms of work. So for example, uh, when parents don't earn enough, they may be compelled to withdraw their children from school and have them work instead to boost the household income. So, and in addition to perhaps give this a a bit of a a more positive spin, businesses often have the capacity to reach the last mile in, in ways that not many other entities can. They may have the relationships, the leverage, and often also the resources to cascade and scale solutions And really improve the livelihoods of millions, if not hundreds of millions of workers and their families in global supply chains. So for us, responsible business practices for children really must be at the heart of an effective response to child labor. Approaches that are really embedded within wider human rights and child rights, due diligence approaches by businesses. So one that considers child labor in its wider socioeconomic context and, and looks at how businesses through their action or their inaction can either exacerbate or be part of the solution to fight
0: child labor with a focus on, on prevention and, and addressing root causes. Fabulous, Chris. Thank you for that, that really detailed background. Let's jump now to the, to the business side. And Linda, if we could turn to, to you next. The, the momentum that we saw created by the, the International Year for the Elimination of Child Labor in 2021 was, was substantial, and, and we did see a lot of companies making child labor pledges but it's it's really noteworthy however that ikea didn't just issue a, a child labor pledge but also a child rights pledge so could you tell us a little bit more about what motivated that and ikea's approach to tackling child labor in its supply chain
2: yes of course thank you so much james uh, and also chris for for the background um our our action pledge um and the actions that we we committed to in that um com- contribute directly to the IKEA vision, which is to create a better everyday life for the many people. And I think being a brand for families, the focus on children is quite natural as part of our identity. Uh, but IKEA, we, we have a longstanding commitment to children. Um, and we've said that by 2030, we will integrate children's um, rights into all of our business activities. Um, and of course, this is based from the fact that children are key stakeholders of our business, we have a big responsibility to ensure that we, we be aware, are aware of our impact uh, throughout our value chain, but also that we take action to address it. Um, we do strive to take a, a holistic approach to our child rights agenda and to look um, on the total scope of both the direct impact that we have on children, but also the indirect impact. And this is also the reasoning behind committing to, to um, an action pledge focusing on children's rights. Um, and as a business, we have a, a long history of working to tackle child labour in our supply chain. And as for many other companies, this was prompted by um, by finding um, actual cases of, of child labour in our, our supply chain in the late uh, 90s. And this was also when we established iWay, which is the IKEA supplier code of conduct. Um, and and in Iowa, we, we describe our responsible sourcing. We, we set clear requirements and ways of working for all of our suppliers and service providers. And children's rights is a very important topic that has been a part of our, our code since, the, since it was first introduced um, in 2000. So since then, of course, we have over time developed our due diligence systems to, as Chris was on to prevent um, child labor, but also of course to remediate if, the, if there are any cases found. Um, and we have also for many years worked to promote decent work for young workers. And this was also an important part of our action pledge um, last year. So again, we try with, to address um, also this issue holistically, looking um, at what could be root causes and, and taking action to also address that. So for example, um, securing good working conditions for parents and caregivers in our um, supply chain is a very um, critical um, action we can take, of course, and something that we do um, to ensure that um, we also mitigate the risks of that knock-on effect that, uh, that was mentioned. Then, of course, we can always uh, improve and strengthen our ways of working. So submitting our action pledge has been a way for us to also, of course, challenge ourselves and to think, what can we do better and how can we accelerate Our efforts uh, moving forward. And of course, also um, as a way for IKEA to to again demonstrate a public commitment and and add our voice to the UN movement to to eradicate um, child labor.
0: Wonderful, thanks so much. Fanny, if we could turn to to you next, please. Uh, So, the the responsible micro initiative is, is working to tackle child labor specifically in the context of the MICA supply chain, which we, we know is a supply chain where child labor has historically been, been a known concern. Could you perhaps tell us a little bit, but actually for, for first perhaps for, for anybody who doesn't know what MICA is as, a, as, a, as an ingredient, perhaps you can tell us a bit about that and then tell us about what the work that your organization is doing to, to mobilize action to address child labor and what you're seeing as some of the, the key levers for success.
3: Sure, sure. And uh, thanks for, for giving me the, the opportunity to, to address this. Uh, to start with, and as you mentioned, so mica is actually a mineral which you are in contact with in your daily life every day and several times a day. Mica my, my is indeed a versatile mineral with a ri- wide range of applications across electrical paints, heavy industries, cosmetics, electronic, automobiles, plastic industries. So you'll actually find some in your air dryer, toaster, makeup, electrical batteries, the paint of your cars, trains, aircraft. So globally everywhere. And my case is mainly in India, Madagascar, Brazil, the US, but also in, you can find some in China or Malaysia. And it's unfortunately associated with poor working conditions and child labor. And that's exactly uh, to tackle these issues uh, that the Responsible Mica Initiative has been created in 2017 now. And maybe to summarize who we are and what we do, Uh, We like to say that the Responsible MICA initiative is a do tank uh, comprised of multiple organizations uh, committed to establishing fair, responsible and sustainable MICA supply chains globally that will effectively address uh, and try to eliminate these unacceptable working conditions and uh, situations of uh, child labor. At RMI, we are using a a multi-stakeholder and holistic approach that engages companies, civil society organizations, industry associations, and governments to develop develop and implement three integrated program pillars that will establish responsible workplace standards, empower local communities, and establish a legal framework for for the MICA sector. What is for me critical to to tackle child labor is actually lying in the DNA of the initiative. First, maybe the needed diversity of actors. Uh, Each one is part of the solution. It's government's responsibility to design and enforce proper regulations. It's NGOs expertise uh, to take children out of mind and, and find alternative sources of livelihood for adults. But it's supply chain actors' responsibility to enforce uh, responsible workplace practices throughout their units, including, of course, the ban on, on child labor. Second, uh, for me, a a needed global uh, and action-oriented approach that takes into account all the root causes that lead to the presence of child labor. As Chris mentioned earlier, it's uh, really a complex, uh, or there are different drivers leading to this situation, and only a holistic, multidimensional program uh, can uh, lead to successful uh, solutions. And finally, maybe I will end with this, but a, a third critical point for me is to have a territory approach on such issues, which ensures you're not putting a bandage on one single or a few supply chains, but that you are solving the issue uh, globally.
0: Thank you, Fanny. That was fantastic and really great. I love the idea of having a a do tank rather than a a think tank, which is absolutely what we we need to drive action in this this space. So perhaps we can turn now to to another hot topic and and back to you, uh, Alinda, as we think about human rights due diligence more, more broadly. And we're at a point now where we're seeing the, the emergence of uh, human rights due diligence legislation. So mandatory human rights due diligence at the EU level has been, been proposed. We've now seen a first draft directive from the European Commission. Um, and this is due diligence legislation that uh, that includes child labour. And we're already seeing uh, child labour-related legislation emerge in geographies such as Germany and Switzerland and and other countries. So what do you think is the, the potential potential Promise and, and impact of this sort of legislation, and and any um, any potential unintended consequences of, of what may be on the horizon. Yes,
2: um, thank you, James. Um, indeed, we do we do um, welcome this development, and IKEA has publicly supported um, this mandatory human rights due diligence legislation at EU level. We think um, it is good development, and and we are supportive of this idea. Um, of a smart mix of measures, as introduced by the UN guiding principles, um, we see that it brings the potential um, to, you know, have harmonised legislation across the EU um, on the, these these important topics, and um, we're hoping for um, a, a legislation that is proportionate um, and that is also um, relying on a risk-based approach. So I'll I'll go a little bit into it, but keep it brief. Um, but just to say on due diligence and um and the kind of prompt by by mandatory um requirements we we see that due diligence really can make a significant difference for people and the planet um, by really helping companies to to embed sustainability into governance and decision making but also to include uh, also to sorry enable awareness and, and action um to address impacts on vulnerable groups including children, of course. Um, so so as I said we we do welcome um, this development and and we are, of course coming from the fact that we we know that our value chains are touching millions of lives globally. Um, we recognize that you know there is a, a long-term benefit of ensuring that we balance economic growth with positive social impact and also of course environmental protection, and also regeneration. Um, we do see, I mean, with, with everything, there's always every, uh, areas of improvement, right? But um, also with regards to the EU proposal, proposal that is now on the table, we we do see that there are opportunities to improve um, the effectiveness and also to avoid implementation bottlenecks. So we really um, hope to see a legislation that prompts quality due diligence, um, again, aligned with UN guiding principles. Um, And we would like to see clarifications further on both a scope. So, so who the legislation is for, so to say, but also what is it, what it is driving. Um, As of now, I think there's a quite, um, there's a limitation to the scope. Um, And as we all know, of course, um, adverse impacts on, on people and And the environment can happen anywhere in in a value chain and both upstream and and downstream, and regardless also of of size or sector or ownership structure of a company. So we hope for a a more inclusive scope of the legislation. And we hope that this, and we think that this can promote that kind of level playing field that that we, uh, along with many others, are hoping to see. Um, And um, we're also hoping for... um, a uh, 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 due diligence legislation that is broad based, so to ensure that, um, as I mentioned previously, that um, the legislation is prompting quality due diligence processes, looking at or looking at or encompassing potential impacts and risks, and kind of rather than staying limited to to um, addressing already kind of impacts that have occurred or or results or um, Already, kind of human rights um, issues existing. So that shift we're we're looking for with the with the EU proposal. Um, I think the there there's much more to say about the 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 legislation coming, but I'll I'll stop there for now.
0: Wonderful, thanks, Anna. It's great great food for thoughts, and I think yeah, I think we could we could fill another podcast with with all of the debate around the the EU legislation, but uh, some really important developments, and and great to get your your views on them. Um, Fanny, if we could turn back to you. Sticking with the topic of of due diligence, what what do you see as the role of of multi-stakeholder initiatives in supporting companies to really ensure that their due diligence efforts uh, are taking child labour into consideration?
3: Yeah, um, yeah. as I mentioned actually earlier, companies for me are, are not the only responsible for situation of uh, situations of, of child labor, ne- neither the only part of the solution. Uh, so again, government could address the policy frameworks and control parts, NGOs have, have the expertise to bring children back to school while training adults workers for increased revenues. And actually multi-stakeholder platforms allow these different worlds to talk together to work together, which in itself is an important step, mistrust being often an, an unfortunately the norm. Uh, and by joining forces, we actually allow private organization to initiate concrete mitigation solutions, um, which is for benefiting from the other uh, government and NGOs expertise and, and capacities. And, and this is for me the most important step in due diligence. So, uh, effectively implementing mitigation solutions beyond simply assessing risks again and again. Maybe another key element for me, uh, by joining multi-stakeholder platform, you can actually reach this critical size which can make the difference. For instance, uh, the Responsible Mica Initiative represents around 60% of the India exportation in volumes. Here only, you can have a wait while discussing with local governments. Here also, you have the capacity to make voluntary standards the norm and transform an entire region without creating two-speed supply chains. And finally, and I will stop with this, working with the enlarged, and in our case, MICA, ecosystem, you're actually co-designing approach and solutions, allowing better accuracy between proposed programs and local effective needs. You're creating ownership, you're ensuring that stakeholders to be impacted by programs are supportive and contributing to the changes they designed for themselves. And all this is uh, very critical to ensure long-lasting change.
0: Amazing. Thank you, Fanny. So we're We're sadly getting to the to the end of our podcast. It's been really insightful and a lot of information has been shared that I think will really inspire businesses looking to strengthen their their child labor prevention efforts. But Chris, perhaps I could turn to you for any final remarks or observations from from your side. Thanks so much, James. And uh,
1: thanks especially also to Elinda and Fanny for these really interesting insights and perspectives. Uh, Perhaps just a two or three observations in, in, in summary um, that, that I think came out of the discussion that are important to us. Um, I think as it as it became clear, we really need businesses to, to shift the needle from, from mere monitoring and compliance approaches to focusing the efforts really and the resources on prevention and root causes of child labor. We heard examples of that today. Linda has alluded to that, but also I like what you said, Fanny, that we, we cannot just focus on simply assessing risks. We, we have to Go beyond that businesses have to go beyond that and look at the root causes and what they can do to address these um similarly i think another point that that's important is around the the need for whole of supply chain approaches so really um that look that tackle child labor where where it's most likely to occur and also where child labor is uh, most severe. So really looking at it from a point of saliency under the UN guiding principles. And and that's not just true for business approaches, but really also for uh, mandatory human rights due diligence legislation that, that we touched on. So um, that it's not just looking at the uh, tiers where maybe the risks are greatest to the business and, and the tiers where the businesses have more control, but really where stakeholders and children particularly are, are most at risk of, of adverse impact. And at the moment, um, I think both business and image RDD uh, approaches um, can fall short of that criteria. And then, last, perhaps um, we need really—I think uh, um, Fanny, in particular, also spoke to that uh, context-specific um, approaches and and collaborative approaches. So, uh, approaches that bring together the the expertise of different stakeholders. Uh, approaches that strengthen. And, and not duplicate systems. In particular here also public governance structure. So perhaps moving away from the, the more private monitoring, compliance and certification schemes to more approaches that, that focus on system strengthening. And, and really, of course, always also keeping in mind how, how to support national government efforts and, and wider uh, development efforts. So um, thanks, James. Uh, that's, that's it from me. Perfect. Thanks, Chris.
0: So for those of you looking to find out a little bit more on this topic, please do check out WBCSD's joint report with UNICEF, which is available on our website and is now also available in Spanish, French and German, as well as English. So a big thank you again to to all of our speakers. Please do keep up all of the the fantastic work that you're doing. And a final thank you to all of you for, for listening in. Take care and many thanks.